be with us today, Lord. Amen. Bless this word. Bless this time. With your very presence. With your very instant anointing. Oh, and your instant word. Lord, we live by every word that come out of your mouth. Thank you. The scripture is God-breathed. Oh, you exhaled. This morning we're here to inhale. We all exercise our mingled spirit. To inhale God. God as the spirit. And God as the living word. Fill us, Lord, with the spirit and with your word. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, we're here again. I'm not going to test you on the 72 points. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can hardly test myself. But I hope uh, it's, you have it, and you will more than have it in your um, notebook. The main thing is to practice. Uh, I like to say something here. Uh, I did a very cursory study recently on this matter of practice and came away extremely impressed uh, that in the New Testament, much emphasis is placed on practicing. You see, the Christian life begins with revelation. Okay, it begins with revelation. That means you have to see something. Uh, for us, the way for us, any of us, to enter into any kind of spiritual experience or experience with, of Christ, uh, the gateway is revelation. So you have to see something. And this is why we need the Bible. This is why we need the Word of God. The Word of God gives light. Uh, the, the Word of God gives divine knowledge. The Word of God uh, enlightens us and peels away the veil, allowing us to see something divine, something real uh, in this universe, something of God. So that's the entrance. But if you just see something... Um, and I think I said something last night, and you uh, do not practice what you see, then, then what you would see eventually would no longer be a fresh revelation. But it will degenerate into a mere objective knowledge. You see, a kind of... Um, doctrine, a kind of teaching. That is exactly what relig a religion is. You know, here, we don't, um, religion is not a good word for uh, to us. Uh, it's a bad word. Um, religion is, put simply, um, a system uh, in place where the people there are, and I'm speaking now, applying this to the Christian religion, where people still have the various theological teaching, the uh, uh, do biblical doctrines, 
and Christian teaching that may be correct and right and good and scriptural, but they have altogether missed the living Christ. They have altogether missed the, li- the life-giving spirit. They have altogether missed even the very God himself. Well, in order to not become a religion, in order to not be simply religious, brothers and sisters, we must experience what we see. What we see must become our daily experience. I say again, when the revelation does not cross over and become an experience in your life, the danger, the risk, is that that very revelation would degenerate and become a mere doctrine, a kind of dead teaching, a kind of theology that does not give life. Well, how does revelation become experience? This is a great subject. But this morning, I would just say one point, and that is related to practice. Practice. Um, both, uh, actually, all the all the uh, apostles who wrote epistles in the New Testament are consistent in this very matter. Let's take Paul to start with. Paul, in the book of Philippians, you know well that book on the experience of Christ, right? Or the enjoyment of Christ. In the last chapter, and that's chapter 4, there he said, uh, all these things that you have seen in me, that you have received from me, that you have heard from me, what did he say? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, right before he said this, um, he sort of rattled off a whole list of the, uh, uh, the proper human virtues, okay, the Christian virtues, which uh, are the, um, only the very expression of really God's divine attributes through our human living. All right? That's what human virtues are. The real virtues are not just something humanly generated. The real virtues are actually the divine attributes of God embodied in humanity, all right? Lift out through man. That's the real virtues. But anyway, my point is, he had this list of virtues, and he said this. He said, think of these things. Consider them. Think about them, right? Or use, or use my word this morning, know them. See something about them. Have a re- revelation about them. But several verses later, he said, What you have seen, what you have heard, that means you have seen something. You have some revelation now. You have some knowledge now. Practice these things. Practice them. And the God of peace will be with you. Do you see this? What we see is for us to practice. 
or for and practice means what practice means something that is be, that you do habitually not once in a while not irregularly not once in a blue moon that's not a practice uh, practice is like brushing teeth right you don't brush teeth when you're inspired, right? I hope not. Uh, you need to see the dentist, really, a lot. Um, and I was not born to brush my teeth. I don't think any of us were. Practice was, I mean, I mean, brushing is an acquired practice. It's something that I grew up in. My, my, my mom makes me brush my teeth every day. And now, every day, if I don't brush my teeth at least twice a day... I just feel something wrong. Am I right? That means, that means teeth brushing or tooth brushing has become uh, part of me. Uh, uh, I mean, I can read the, all the dental journal and all about the, the merits of brushing teeth. And I know everything about all kinds of toothpaste and the best kind of Oral-B toothbrush. And I even know the, the, the benefit of flossing and, and you name it. But I don't do any of those. My teeth will still rot. Right? The book doesn't help. Even the knowledge doesn't help. I mean, good knowledge doesn't help. Until I really do it, then all the goodness of toothbrushing will become mine. From what? From practice. Do you know the Christian life is about practice? Forget the idea that you see something, then you go home and pray, and then somehow it becomes yours. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If you see something, practice it. So last night I gave you 72 practices. Oh, I tell you, take one a week. Take one a week. So let's say this week is on, uh, what, just give me one of the points. Huh? Well, that, 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 that is... Uh, uh, the, the first eight, uh, first 12, let's go on to the next, uh, uh, next group of 12. Okay, linger. Okay, let's say we're on linger, but don't jump to linger. That, that's kind of late in the first group. You have to start somewhere else. Okay, but anyway, let's say you're on linger. Okay, oh, you, 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 you heard about lingering. Lingering is wonderful. Abraham lingered and all of that good stuff, but you don't linger. You just put it on the, wrote it in your book, your notebook and then you shelve it away you, you, that didn't benefit you and pretty soon you can tell people to linger but you yourself don't linger and lingering is a dead doctrine to you it's a dead teaching to you it's not real it's not your experience that's not the Christian life the Christian life is oh I see the need to linger like Abraham I'm going to practice lingering Amen. yeah go practice lingering Practice to linger in the Lord's presence. Don't go away so fast. Don't run away so fast. Don't let this date with the Lord end so quickly. Linger a little bit. Oh, you practice that. And I tell you, after so much practice, lingering will become your experience. You know what is to linger. You don't just talk about it or give a sermon about it. You know what is to linger. And you become a beneficiary of lingering in the Lord's presence. I must tell you, I am a beneficiary. 
Lingering to me is not a teaching. Lingering to me is a blessed experience every day. Okay? This is, all right, so this is Paul. Paul in another place said, and this is in um, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, I believe. He said what? He said, practice these things. That your progress will be what? Will be manifested to all. My, li listen, this is not even just practice. This is visible. You have to have some visible results. Some visible uh -huh, indication that you've been practicing that other people can see. Now you may say, well, I, I thought you told, told us th the whole thing should be hidden. Well, yes, your moments, your time with the Lord ought to be hidden. Okay? But after so much hidden moments, I look at you, I will say, my goodness, what is happening to this brother? What is happening to that sister? Apparently, nothing, nothing, you know, uh, so earth-shattering. But this dear one have been what? Oh, I tell you, practicing these things. And the progress is manifested. And we can see that. Surely I can see that. Oh, these, you know, I'm in this full-time training in Anaheim, two years, not a long time, two years. But I must testify to you over and over and over again, I've seen these young people come in one way and go out another way. Meaning a visible, visible, manifested transformation have taken place in their lives. And that is not because they were in Anaheim hanging around for two years and hocus pocus, they change. No, I tell you, that's what the training is all about. Training is about practice. No practice, it's hardly a training. You're trained to do things. So they practice how to be with the Lord and this and that and, and to know the truth. I tell you, there is a visible progress in them. Corporately is the same. You know, it should be when I see you, uh, this church this year, it's like this. Two years later, I come back. It's still the same. Aha. Uh -huh. I have put a little question mark on the whole thing. You see what I mean? There sh should be corporate progress in many ways. But brothers and sisters, don't have a concept of miracle. Christian life is not about a miracle. Some, somehow you roll out of bed and you, 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 something happened to you. No, I tell you, Christian life is about daily practice. Daily practice. Okay, John. Let me tell you, John, the Apostle John, in the epistle of 1 John, and you can go check the verses yourself. John used the word practice very much. He say, talk about practicing the truth. He talk about practicing righteousness and then he talked about practicing or doing it's the same word the will of God now negatively he also talked about practicing sin that's the negative side sin is a to sin is also a practice to from time to time being weak and you fall 
you, you, you sin, that's one thing. That's one thing. But to be perpetually sinning, you are, you are a practitioner of sin. That's bad. That's terrible. We Christians may sin, but we must not become practitioners of sin. Are you with me? That's bad. Sin must not be our practice. Now, positively, positively, we have to be practitioners of the truth, of righteousness, and of the will of God. Practice them. Practice them. So you hear some truth from a conference, from a training. Right away, you should not just be happy or satisfied or contented with just knowing them or be impressed by these points. I say you need to have the spirit to apply them. Apply what you hear. Lest they become doctrinal, a dead knowledge to you. Practice the truth. Right? And practice righteousness. And, and do and practice the will of God. That's John. That's John. How about James? Only wrote one epistle. How about him? Well, he, he famously said that what? Uh-huh. Faith without works is dead. Now, of course, we have to take that works, that word works, in a proper kind of way. That works does not mean you keep the law, you know, like the Old Testament people. No, in the New Testament, we don't keep that kind of Old Testament law. So that's not, that's not what he's talking about. Doing, just doing mere good works and in, in an outward kind of a way. But he does, say, he, he does say, along with faith, you must have works. Faith is complemented by works. And in my words this morning, in my words this morning, truth must be accompanied by practice. You say you have faith, but I don't see the practice of it. That faith is somewhat dead. There's no evidence. There's no issue. There's no expression of that faith. That faith is a somewhat a dead faith. So this is, this is James. Now how about Peter? Peter. Peter said that, in, this is in Second Peter, that by the divine power, we have what? Been given... All things pertaining to life and godliness. All right? We, we, we've got it. We have all the things we need in us. The seed, remember I talked about the seed last night? This seed has everything of life and godliness. This seed within us has, is God and has everything of God there. Has the potential for us to grow God, for us to become like God, and if you would, wouldn't mind for us to become God, of course, not in the Godhead, but in the life and nature. But the point is, we have these things. And then he says, we have been given the precious, exceedingly great and precious promises. We have not only the divine nature within, right, we have the precious promises without. In fact, it is by these promises we partake of the divine nature. 
Anyway, these things, we've got a lot. We really, we really have all that we need. We're fully equipped, right, to live the Christian life for the glory of God, for God's purpose today. But then after he said that, after he said these things, right away he said, he said, aha, upon this, at diligence. At diligence. Let me, you tell me, why do I need diligence? I've got it. I've got the seed. Yes, you got the seed. But you never what? You never water. You never uh, uh, fertilize. You never do the weeding. You've got the seed, but that seed may not grow properly may not grow well, may not bear fruit, because there's no diligence. Then he talked about adding diligence, adding to diligence this and this and that. You go read in Peter. That you will not become be idle nor unfruitful. Don't say, I have the divine life, I have all this, now I can just go to sleep. No, no. Actually, with all that has been given to you, you have to be diligent. Don't be idle. Cooperate with that inner life by your diligent practice. You're tending to that precious thing you have received. Then, I will tell you, you will be fruitful. You will grow. Tomorrow morning, we'll talk about the fruitfulness of the church. Okay. Are you with me? Are you convinced? Did I convince you? Be a practicing Christian. You know what I mean. That means practice what you hear. Practice what you see. I hope long after I'm gone from here, I mean from Kansas City. I don't mean from this earth, right? I mean from Kansas City. You will still be practicing. Next time when I see you, brother, I will say, I I am in point number 34. Still practicing. How about you? And you will see yourself grow in life. Growth in life is not a miracle. That life is miraculous. Even the growth is kind of miraculous. But the tending to the plant the farming aspect, right? The gardening aspect is no miracle. It's all effort and practice and what? And diligence day after day after day. Amen. Okay, I hope so. You say, I don't know how to pray. I'll say, practice praying. One time I asked an older brother when I just got saved, I said, how do I preach the gospel? He said, just go and preach the gospel. (laughs) That's how. The point is, practice. Then you will learn. You will find out. We need some instructions. We need some training. We need some, you know what I mean, some perfecting. But in the end, you've got to practice. Until you practice, it is still not yours. Amen. So I I like to coin a new term. Let us practice Christ. 
not just let us eat Jesus, but let us practice Christ every day. Amen. And you'll become an expert. Okay, now, this morning, what are we going to talk about? Well, uh, the uh, burden this weekend is on a fresh, fragrant, and fruitful church life. Or, if I may say, how can, this way, how can we be a fresh, fragrant, and fruitful church? You may say that. There's a way. There is certainly a way. All right. So, let us look into this. Now, this morning I have you read a bunch of verses. Can I ha have that? There. Okay. We read a bunch of verses. Um, I hardly know how to start because, uh, by the way, don't take this uh, fellowship here like some kind of just a message. Uh, just take it as a kind of a fellowship, right? Almost like a kind of a talk. Uh, I think that is a better way to, to go. All right. Um, the church, the church, Right, we all know, must be clear, is God's purpose. God has an eternal purpose in this universe. And according to Ephesians chapter 3, to be put in a very, very simple terms, that eternal purpose or the purpose of the ages is to gain a church. Now, obviously, we're not talking about a church as in a physical building, a cathedral, a quote-quote house of worship, right? Some brick and mortar with a bell and a cross and all that. No, that is not a church. That is just a building. Then you say, what is the church? Well, some people say the church are the people that are in that building. That's an improvement, but that is still not hitting the point. You can get a whole bunch of people together. They are not the church. Oh, okay, let's get a bunch of religious people together. They are not the church either. Right? Yes, the meaning of the word church, ecclesia in Greek, means the called out ones. The gathering of the called out ones. Right? Ac means out, right? The, uh, the called out ones gathered together is the church. So, in a very basic sense, the church is, are the God's called out people, particularly in the New Testament in this age of grace. That is correct. But that is a very, very elementary understanding um, of the word church. You must read the rest of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Arguably, the uh, classic epistle on the subject of the church. All right? If you read this uh, epistle, you'll find out the church is much more than a group of people that have been called out from the world 
and to be gathered together. The church is, listen to me, the church is the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. That means the word fullness, you can uh, use another expression, another word, expression. You know, the fullness is the expression. I, uh, I have a cup of water here. Imagine, it is only filled to three quarters. Imagine if I keep pouring water until it's full and I keep pouring water, what happens? The water starts to overflow. Okay? That is fullness. That's the meaning of fullness. When something is poured in to abundance, right, to overflowing, you start to see an expression, an overflow of that content. When Christ is poured into us until he overflows, that's the church. The fullness of the one who fills all and in all, according to Ephesians 1, is the church. That is something high. The church, in other words, is the expression of Christ. Corporately. Corporately. Among men, or in men. Right? God expressed in humanity, in a corporate way, that's the church. And then the church is called the new man. Uh, excuse me, I'm, 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 yeah, the church is the new man. God wants to have a new man in this universe versus the old man, Adam. The fallen, sinful, divided old man, old humanity, headed by the first Adam. God wants to raise up a new man in this universe. Amen. And so he did that by dying on the cross. And on the cross, he created from Jews and Gentiles one new man. This new man has Christ as his life, and Christ as his person, and Christ as its head. You know a man has a head, right? A head. And this man has a body. You put the head and the body together and then you fill this with life and a personality. That's a man. Yeah. Am I right? God wants a universal one new man with himself as the head and himself in his members or mingle his, with his members to become his body. And he is the life of this man and he is the personality or person of this man. One day God just won one man in this universe. And we're all part of that one new man. This is the church. This is a higher view of the church. The church is also what? The church is also the dwelling place of God in spirit. In Ephesians. We are all, we're all built together in Christ. With Christ as the real element right, constituted into us, and we are built together in him, and we become that dwelling place of God in the spirit. You know, this morning, 
We're here, all sitting here, individuals. But I tell you, within us, we all have a regenerated, mingled spirit. Where the Lord Jesus Christ dwell. Am I right? And I tell you, not only I have Christ in my spirit, you have Christ in your spirit, but actually all our spirits in the divine life, the flow of the divine life, which is the divine fellowship, are joined together into one corporate mingle spirit. And that is the church. That is the church. The church is not just a bunch of bodies. The church is that corporate joined spirit in which the Lord dwells. That's his home. That's his home. The church is God's home. And we also are also God's family, related to that. And we're also what? The church is also, because we're citizens of the kingdom, the church is also the kingdom of God. Not only the house of God, meaning the dwelling place on the one hand and the family on the other, right? The family of God. That means we all have the life of God. But we're also the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That is the church. I forgot to say in Ephesians, the church is the masterpiece, the poem of God. God wrote a poem. That poem is the church. The church is his masterpiece. One day he will just rip away that cloth and there's the masterpiece in the whole universe. That's the church. That means all of God's mind, all of God's uh, 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 talent, all of God's are poured into this masterpiece. That is, that is God's eternal purpose. Okay, then two more items. The church is Christ's bride. The church is the wife of Christ. Right? Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? As a husband to the wife, so Christ is to the church. The church is Christ Jesus' counterpart. That's a love story. That's a romance. Okay, then finally, the church is God's warrior. Corporate warrior, because God has an enemy. There's a bully out there, right? God wants to deal with that bully, deal with his arch enemy, not by himself, but by the church. So the church is his, the corporate warrior to fight the spiritual warfare in this universe. To deal with God's enemy. So, brothers and sisters, I, I say this for the sake of some of us who may be new here. So you will see what the church is. Now, in the last verse we just read, that is in Revelation, we find that, this is John, that the church is also a lampstand. A lampstand. My, a lampstand. Now, goodness, if you want to study this, this matter of lampstand, it is something extremely interesting, extremely rich. There is this vein, this line on the lampstand in the whole Bible that we absolutely don't have time to get into, but it's just lovely. I, I tell you, 
But just remember this. The church is God's lampstand. You know what is a lampstand? A lampstand, you know, is uh, uh, something that God instructed the children of Israel to build as one piece of furniture in the holy tabernacle. All right? The tabernacle of the testimony in the Old Testament. The first mentioning of this lampstand is Exodus 25. That lampstand there. Okay. Then I will just very quickly, the second lampstand mentioned is in 1 Kings, an enlarged big lampstand. Same lampstand, but much larger. And then the third mentioning of this lampstand is in Zechariah 4, when he talks about the Spirit, about the Spirit, okay? About the oil that would fill this lampstand. Now, don't get distracted. I'm just running through this with you. And then the last mentioning of this lampstand is right here in Revelations 1. And according to this mentioning in Revelation 1, it says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Seven local churches. A church in a city. Am I right? So the lampstand is the church. The church is the lampstand. I will tell you, that is only in Revelation 1. You have to go to the, the end of Revelation 22. You will see a huge, gigantic uh, lampstand in the universe there called the New Jerusalem. Amen. Yeah, it, it says there that God is the light. The lamp, L-A-M-B, that refers to the redeeming Christ, is the lamp, L-A-M-P. So the light is God, who is in Christ, the Lamb, the diffuser. And that Lamb is, in, is the very temple that is in the New Jerusalem. I should say, I take that wrong. The, the diffuser is the New Jerusalem. Right? The, the, the Lamb is, the L-A-M-B is the bulb. You know, the light bulb. And the light inside is God. God in Christ in the church. Am I right? Or in the New Jerusalem. Shining out in this whole universe. Testifying of God. Expressing God in this whole universe. That is what God wants. God wants to be expressed in the whole universe through humanity. That he has mingled himself with. And that's the New Jerusalem. And that is the ultimate lampstand. So, the first lampstand refers to Christ. The second lampstand, also in, in Kings, also refers to Christ, except enlarged. And then the third lampstand refers to the Spirit in Zechariah. And the last lampstand in, uh, 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 or, or rather the, 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 the fourth lampstand, am I right? The fourth lampstand referred to the local churches. And the final lampstand refers to the new Jerusalem. Amen. And they're all the same. Christ is the Spirit. The Spirit eventually copied is the, is the church. And the church consummated is the new Jerusalem. Well, 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 that is still not my point this morning. 
but I'm just giving you some understanding. Today, dear saints, we're in the local churches. Am I right? We're in Kansas City. And this is the church in Kansas City. By the way, in the New Testament, there are no denominations. You go read the Bible. If you can find it, please tell me. In fact, what I will find out for you in the New Testament is the apostle, especially Paul, condemning any kind of denominating. Condemning anything sectarian. Condemning anything divisive among the believers. That I find. The opposite of a denomination. What I find in the New Testament in the first century church are just local churches. That's not a name. That's just referring to its nature. The local churches all over the place. Okay? And these churches are simply all that I describe. It is a group of people that have been called out, but much more. It is all that I describe, except expressed in a locality. Locality in Kansas City. And now I'm so happy in, in uh, Broken Arrow. There's a church in Broken Arrow. And there's a church in Omaha, Nebraska. There's a church in Wichita, Kansas, right? There's a church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And, and I predict there will be many, many more churches in this region in various little towns and cities. Shouldn't, shouldn't there be? That's in the New, Te New Testament. Just the land in Judea and eventually beyond Judea in Samaria and eventually beyond Samaria in even in, uh, 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 in uh, moving over to Europe unto the then ends of the earth, are just populated not only with Christian believers, but with local churches. Churches. Okay? And there should be one, one church in a city. It's very, very clear. You just go read uh, Revelation again. One church, so that there'll be no division. Today, you need a phone book, a yellow pages, and you just go find how many churches there are and supposedly you have to just pick the church of your choice. I tell you, sorry to say, all these things are degradation. All these things are blasphemous to God. All these things are not scriptural at all. That's why we say we are in the Lord's recovery to come back to the beginning. We want to come back to the very, very beginning. Because in the beginning, it was not so. Today we're here, not because we're better than anyone or we're smarter than anyone, but by God's mercy, we have seen something Amen. of the wrong of Christian religion today. And it's divisiveness and it's degradation. We're coming back to the Word of God. Amen. We're coming back to the Bible. We're coming back to the beginning to practice the church life according to God. All right, now this church, this local church, or the local church, church, churches, all should be lampstands. This is very clear. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. Am I right? 
Okay, the lampstand. I'm not going to get into expounding the lampstand. Anyway, the lampstand is a stand. All right? It's a stand that has lamps. You know, in the old days, there's no electricity. There's only lamps. And those lamps are for giving light. Correct? And these lampstands, these lights shine by what? By what? By oil. Am I right? By oil. Oil is what fuels the burning lamps. And the lamps is what gives off light. That is a lampstand. That is a lampstand. Now, there's, there's too many wonderful things there. Okay? Just remember this lamb is to give, the lambs are to give off light. And the lampstand holds these lambs that give off light. So that means, what is the church? Now, I don't have the time to get into this, but the lampstand is golden made of gold and the lampstand is beaten beaten it's beaten into a shape into a particular shape all right not according to your design or my design according to god's design Amen. and then this lampstand of course burns brightly with with the lamb by the oil well i will tell you what that is I'll tell you, just, just from this little picture. Gold, which is the nature, the element of this lampstand, always in the Bible signifies God. Especially God the Father. The divine nature. When this gold is beaten into a particular shape, I tell you, that is a sign... Of what? Of God being embodied. God taking on a form. You say, what form? You read Philippians 2. That Christ Jesus, who was equal with God. Who was God? Am I right? Isn't Jesus God? You're not Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Jesus is God. God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. But there are no three gods. The Father, there's the Father God, there's the Son God, there's the Spirit God, but they are not three gods. They are one God in three. One God in three. You say, how do you understand that? I said, I don't understand that. I just say amen to that. God is mysterious. No one can understand God fully. We just take the word of God and believe. Okay? The divine revelation tells us God is triune. So you have... The Father God as the gold, the very nature, the, very, the divine nature in Second Peter is the nature of this lampstand. Do you know the nature of the church is not anything but the Father? The Father of the Father should be the nature of the church in Kansas City. Amen. Not your human nature, not your human nature, but the Father's nature. There's no room for any other kind of nature except the Father. And the Son, uh, that, that form, when, the, when God takes on the human form, God is embodied in a man. 
He took on the form of a man. God in the form of man. That's incarnation. Am I right? 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. That was God in the form of a man. The little Jesus. I tell you, that's the lampstand. That, 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 that's the shape. The shape of this lampstand is Christ. The church is not according to your shape. Or your shape. Or your shape. The church is shaped, formed, according to Christ. It has the form of Christ. That's why today we are being transformed into His image. That's why we're going to be conformed into the image of the firstborn son. Because Christ is the unique form of God. No one has seen God at any time, but Christ is only begotten in the bosom, in his bosom, he has declared God. That means he has expressed God. And number three, number three, you have the lambs. You know, you have the lambs. What are the lambs? The lamb, I'll tell you, is the spirit. You read Zechariah and then you read uh, uh, Revelation. You will find out that there's seven lamps of burning fire before the throne. Those seven lamps of fire, which are the seven eyes of the lamp, are the seven spirits of God sent forth to the whole earth. This tells us that the lamb is the spirit. The lamb is the spirit. Do you see this? Actually, the lamb is also the oil that fuels the shining. Today, I'll tell you, the ex and, the, and the shining is the expression. Am I right? The ultimate expression. Today, we don't shine anybody. We don't shine some great pastor among us. You know, today you go to any mega church, the draw is who's the senior pastor? Who's on the pulpit on Sunday? If it's not this guy, I won't go. If this guy, I read his books, I like it, I'm going to go. Did you see my point? So who is shining there? The pastor. He, he is the light. He, he, is the, he, he is the expression. And, and actually besides him, there's other things. That is the expression. No, I tell you, in a true church, the expression is the spirit. Amen. The fruit of the spirit. The living out of the spirit. That is the testimony of the church. There you have it. So what is the lampstand? The lampstand is just the triune God. Amen. Actually, it's just the triune God. Amen. But this is not just the triune God in himself, which was once upon a time. From eternity until the death of Christ, the triune God was its own lampstand. But in resurrection, this God, this God, in Christ, became a life-giving spirit. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15. Became the spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 3, 6, it says, The Lord is the spirit. Right? The Lord is the spirit. That Lord is just Christ. He is the spirit today. Now, this spirit was breathed into us. In the day of resurrection. Into the disciples. 
And since that time, since that time, that same spirit has been breathed into all of us. Is that what happened when you get saved? It is by the spirit we were regenerated. That which is born of the spirit, the small, small human spirit, is the spirit, the large S spirit. So when the Spirit came into us, the Holy Spirit came into us, it gave birth to our human spirit. And that two, these two spirits are conjoined or mingled to become a mingled spirit today. Amen. That means we're all begotten of God now. We all have the life of God now. We're all the children of God now. We're even all the sons of God now. We're not even, have, because of this, have become the members of Christ. Amen. And even the members of Christ's body. Amen. That's what we are today. And as such, we have been incorporated and we have become part of this lampstand. Amen. Today, this lampstand is not just God alone, but God mingled with humanity. Amen. Divinity mingled with humanity as this expression of God in man in, on the earth today. That is, that is the church. You see, I have already, I hope not wasted, but spent so much time just to tell you something about what the church really is. Okay, you in Manhattan. Yesterday I met some of these guys from Manhattan. I shouldn't say guys, that's a bad word. Uh, these members of Christ. These children of God. Amen? These little God men in Manhattan. I was so happy. You see, I know Moses for a long time in Southern uh, California. You know, he was there in Fullerton. Right? Fullerton. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Moses this happy. <laughs> When he, was, when he was there, he was not that, this happy. This time when I came, he is like, uh, I couldn't stop him talking. He was introducing me to this guy, this guy, and tell him we're doing this, we're doing that, we're in Manhattan this, whatever it is. And I, I, I visited with, or I met these, these young brothers and sisters. I said, praise the Lord. I said, this is how the recovery began 90 years ago. In China, in a little town called uh, uh, Fu Chao with a few young men. One of them is called Watchman Nee and he was 19 years old. I don't know, 19, one nine. I don't know, I don't know how old you are, but he was 19. And the first Lord's Table uh, in this way was three people in a little house with comprising Watchman Nee and a couple. A couple. It's always good to have a couple, right? So a couple, because a couple has a house, right? So, so the, the, the couple in the little, little house, I mean, they were also students, by the way. I mean, they, they, they're really young. A little older than, than Watchman Nee. But Watchman Nee was 19. And the three of them broke bread. And you read Watchman's testimony. He said, even in eternity, I will never forget that night. Amen. The first Lord's table they took outside of the so-called 
Holy Communion in his, uh, in his denominational church. They have to do it in a hidden way because they will be condemned for doing this. But they say, we must obey the scriptures. By reading the scriptures, they look at the picture. It doesn't match. You have to choose one. You want to take the, what's out there, or you take what is in the scripture. He took the way of the scripture. That's why, brothers and sisters, there is a fine tradition in the Lord's recovery that we really come back to the scriptures. All right. So only three. And now in Manhattan, you have more than three. Isn't that something? I tell you, don't despise yourself because you're small, because you're few in number. That's not the point. The point is, are you a lampstand? Are you golden? Or are you muddy? Do you have the Father's nature? You have to say yes. Do you have the form of Christ? Well, maybe not completely, but to some degree, right? Do you have the expression of the Spirit? Are you enjoying the Spirit? That's really my burden this morning. Yes, right? I tell you, then I would say, Manhattan, let it shine. Let it shine. So what? They have a mega church there with 5,000 people. So what? You have only 12 in this little house. I told you, Jesus didn't bother to remain in Jerusalem. He just went there in the day to do his job, you know. At night, he left town and went to this little house of affliction with three. That's quite scriptural. Three. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. One brother, two sisters. That's a pretty good ratio. <laughs> there, the Lord rested and found his home. I really predict, brothers and sisters, in this whole heartland of America, we will have many, many little lampstands. Some uh, may be this size. Some may be this size. Some may be this size. And some may be bigger. But in essence, the same. In shape, the same. In expression, the same. It's just the size is a little different. But don't worry. It may start like this. Next year will be like this. Because this lampstand, by the way, if you study it, is a tree. It's, it's, God has it designed like a tree. That means this lampstand is living. It's organic. It grows. And you will grow. I bet you in Manhattan will grow. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, I just cannot wait to see this. This, this. These states, these states, and these plain states or whatever states will be what? Will be populated with, oh, local churches that are real lampstands. Now, okay. All this is introduction. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe tonight I'll speak this morning's message or something like that. It's okay. This is just a 
It's okay. It's good not to be so bound. But let me just put it in simple terms. In simple terms. That being the case, I, my burden is a fresh church life. Am I right? What is a fresh church life? Versus unfresh. Or versus aging. Or versus old. Or versus a decrepit church life. You know? As a golden lampstand, I tell you, to be fresh means we are shining. We're bright. It's not dying. You know, you know, you've seen some fire. It's just some kind of dying embers. It's kind of like sort of glowing, but actually going out. I mean, that's not very, very glorious to me. Not very encouraging. I'll, I'll tell you. Regardless of the size, I tell you already, it's not important. It's the shining that's important. It's the shining. There may be a few, but it's brightly shining. That shining is the testimony of Jesus. We're in every city to bear the testimony of Jesus by shining him out. By shining Christ out. By expressing Christ. By living Christ. That's what we do in every city. But in order, listen to me, in order for the light to brightly shine, you saints, I can think of one thing. There may be other things, but one thing that is needed. That means in order for, to be fresh, there's one thing that is needed. We need lots of oil. Make sense? Yes. Make sense? Yes. Now, so this morning, actually, I, was, I have prepared an oily message. <laughs> actually, not just oil. I was going to talk about oil and wine. Amen. I think you like that, right? Amen. Oil and wine. Well, you know what? I think I'm just going to uh, say something and continue tonight. Because I have too much to say Amen. about oil and wine. Uh, I don't care about sermons. I just care about being fresh. Amen. 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 All right. So this morning, what I will do is I will just give you some background. Tonight, we're going to talk about the real thing. I'm going to give you some background. You need some background. Otherwise, you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. I like to tell you that... Uh, In order for us to be fresh, we need the fresh oil. Not just oil, but as I will show you, at least in one verse in Psalms, it talks about the fresh oil. The fresh oil. And you know, oil, oil in the old days in in uh, Mediterranean area, you know, where the Jewish land was, came mainly from the olive tree, the olive oil, mainly, still today, 
olive oil. And when you squeeze and press this oil, uh, this olive, and out comes the, the oil, right, in principle. And that's the oil we're talking about. I will tell you first that in the Bible, oil always signifies the spirit. The spirit. Whenever oil is mentioned, that means the spirit. So, for us to be burning, for our lampstands to be burning in our cities, in our church life, I tell you, the need is lots of oil. To be filled with oil. That means, in New Testament terms, to be full of the Spirit. We must be brothers and sisters, saints, that are filled with the, the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. Amen. We are just people walking around full of oil. You know, there, there's this term called sons of oil. You know, in, in Zechariah. And in, in Zechariah. Okay. Now, uh, I also like to talk about the wine because oil is always mentioned together, often mentioned together with wine, with wine. Um, now, I think the best way for me to give you some background is I like to read Judges. You know this book called Judges. I didn't have you read it because many of you probably didn't bring your Old Testament. Okay? There, uh, there are some trees talking to each other. <laughs> you know, trees can talk. Okay? But here you have talking trees in Judges 9. And I'm not here to explain the talking trees, all that. I want to just have a few verses here to indicate the significance of oil and the significance of wine. Now, let me go back to wine. Wine, lightly, uh, 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 um, uh, likewise, comes from a plant. Oil comes from the fig tree. It's, 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 it's vegetarian. Okay? The, the wine comes from what? Comes from the grapes. From the vine. The vine. And through a fermentation process, it becomes wine. Am I right? Yes. <coughs> so there's another tree, the vine tree, or the vine, simply put. Okay, so here is those two trees. Now, there's another tree called the fig tree. Fig tree is for feeding, but I'm not getting there. I'm just talking about those two. So it says here, but the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my fatness? because of which God and men are honored by me and go to wave over the trees. Okay, here's the point. Here's the point. Whenever the oil is mentioned, there is also what? Also fatness. There's also fatness there. Uh, even when uh, they burned the offerings in the Old Testament, you know, these animals, we, they... they, they they burn the oil, the, the fat, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of fatness generate a kind of smell or fragrance 
ascending to God for God's satisfaction. All right? Okay. Anyway, when oil is mentioned, uh, there is this matter of fatness. There is this matter of riches. Riches. Something fat. Something rich. Okay? I like to eat. This is steak country, isn't it? Yeah. It is, right? Or hamburger country. Okay. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I like to eat my steak with fat. When there's no fat, it may be healthy, but it's tasteless. Am I right? You have to have all kinds of A1 sauce, you know? There's no fat. But when there is a piece of Kobe beef with fat, with lots of marble, with a lot of marble fat... You don't even need salt. You don't need salt. You just eat the whole thing. Because it is so flavorful. Am I right? So rich. So, so, so just, just perfect. All right? I tell you, God loves fat. Uh, God is not that health, health conscious. Uh, God is, uh, cares for the flavor. Right? God cares to be satisfied. Well, anyway, even the olive oil is flavorful. Very flavorful. You know, today people in the Mediterranean, they drink olive oil. They don't cook with olive oil. They drink olive oil. And that's why they live long. (coughs) Or or, or so I was told. (laughs) Anyway, uh, where this oil... There is fatness. And I, don't, I, I won't have time to explain to you how fat the spirit is. How rich, how inordinately rich the spirit of the Lord is today. Okay, all right, let me continue. And it says what? It says, because of which God and men are honored by me. You know what oil does? Oil... Uh, in this case, honors. Honors what? Honors God and men. Did I read it right? God and men. Oil, in the Old Testament, is to honor God. It honors God. Uh, There's the holy anointing oil in Exodus. And no time to get into that. That is to be put over all the furniture of the tabernacle. And it basically separates, sanctifies, and consecrates those things to God. As well as the priest. The priest. It's all about the oil. When you are not anointed, you're out of here. God will not accept you. Okay? You are dishonoring God. When there's the oil, I tell you, that oil renders honor to God. It separates you unto God. Right? It makes you holy. And anything that is made holy, as God is holy, is an honor to God. Is an honor to God. Today, by the way, let me say something. For us to really honor God, 
is for us to live God. To live Christ. That's the top honor to God. Okay. All right. Then it also honor men. You know, in the Old Testament, they pour oil on the kings. You know, when you're to be anointed a king, they took a horn with oil and pour it on your head. I tell you, that oil honors you, separates you, commissions you as, as someone in God's economy. So oil honors you, honors men. Oh, Francis, do you know the day when we received the Spirit, we were honored? You were not just saved. You were honored by God. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's, that's the oil. That's the oil. Okay. Now, how about the vine tree? The vine said to them, Shall I leave my new wine? So you see, oil is for fatness. And that fatness is for burning the light. Uh, vine is to make wine. To make wine. What is wine for? Which cheers God and men. Which cheers God and men. What is wine? <laughs> now, of course, there's a bad part about wine. Uh, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the good side of wine in the Bible. Wine cheers. Wine invigorates. Wine uh, excites. Am I right? Wine makes you happy. Oh, Lord. <laughs> don't, don't go out and, you know. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the real wine. The, the wine, it cheers God. Even God needs some wine. And it cheers men. It makes you happy. Now, now this is, this is the, the um, in the Old Testament. Okay. Now, I like to read to you here in Psalms uh, 92.10. I'll just read it to you. And here you have this saying here. 92.10. Oops. Sorry. It says, verse 10, But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. I, have, I am anointed with fresh oil. With fresh oil. That word anointed is actually the same word as mingled. You know, in Leviticus, mingle. Fine flour mingled with oil, that's the same word. Okay, so... Here is talking about this fresh oil. Not just oil, but fresh oil. Uh, mingled with a man or anointing a man. Now, here's the point. The point is the word fresh oil. Now, this oil, I say again, is the spirit. Is the spirit. Of course, today, we all have to be clear that the spirit is no longer just the Holy Spirit as in the Old Testament or as in the time of the Lord Jesus. But today, 
this spirit that we have received at our rebirth, in our regeneration, is a compounded spirit because the oil, uh, according to the type in Exodus, is a compounded oil with olive oil plus four kinds of spices, and I won't get into that. The four kinds of spices that depicts that depict the death of Christ and the uh, sweetness of it and the resurrection and the power of it. Okay, all those all those spices are now compounded with this one hint of olive oil to form the holy anointing oil. That means today, the spirit that we have received is not only the plain spirit of God that was there in eternity, but the spirit that have, what, acquired, that have included in it, that is compounded with all the processes that Christ Jesus went through on the earth as a man. His incarnation, his human living, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. All of this, even his ascension, are all compounded into this oil today, which is the spirit that we have received. Amen. Are you with me? I, I, I'm hardly getting into the details. Just, 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 just get it, right? Yeah. Just get it. So this oil today is the oil that we have. And this oil is fresh. Fresh oil. That means this spirit is always present. And always fresh. And always living. And always new. Amen? Amen. You get old. But the spirit never gets old. When I came to this country... I was 17. A young man, 17, came to this country. I never thought I would get old. You know, when you're young, you just don't believe you'll get old. In fact, after I came to the church life, I, would, I realized the Lord is coming, and I tell myself, I will, really, I won't get old. Uh, before the, the Lord would have come, before I get old. Well, sorry to say, the Lord has not come yet. And today, I won't tell you how old I am, but I am a lot older than 17, whether I like it or not. I refuse to get old, but I am getting old. I don't like to age, but I'm aging, even Andy. We knew each other a little bit, even back in Hong Kong. He is younger than me. Today he looks older than me. <laughs> at least, at least the color of his hair. Right? I said, Andy, what happened to you? And what happened to me? We are aging. We're getting old. We're not fresh anymore. Am I right? We're, we're, we're not young men anymore. We got old. But I'll tell you, the spirit within us is still fresh oil. It is present. Amen. It is as fresh as when I was 17. The spirit never gets old. I tell you, God is evergreen. 
He never gets old. And especially the spirit is always fresh. Always fresh. So to be a fresh church, to have a fresh church life, how do you do it? Be filled with fresh oil. Every day. All the time. Filled with oil. Now, now, that, that, that's on the oil side. And how about the wine side? The wine side. Uh, the wine. I Have you read some verses? One, number one in Matthew. You know the wrong verse I gave you? Which is in actually chapter 9, right? Yeah. Verse seven, 17. It talks about no one puts the new wine into the new wine skin. Am I right? Otherwise, uh, the old wine skin, because it will break. You put a new wine into a new wine skin. By the way, the new wine skin is the corporate Christ, the church. The new wine is what? No. Okay, I have not defined what wine is. <laughs> Whereas the oil refers to the spirit, the compound spirit. Wine refers to the divine and resurrection life. The life. Okay? Wine is on the side of life. The cheering wine means this life that we have received cheers, makes us happy, makes us excited excitable, uh, uh, make us full of vigor, um, make us flourish. That life is the vine. Now, the point here is, it talks about the new wine. Wine gets old, right? You open a bottle of wine, you just let it sit there, very quickly you can taste it, it, it just becomes, becomes old wine, right? And people don't drink old wine. But uh, a new bottle, a new wine, Okay, is special. This wine cheers. Cheers. God and men. And then in Acts 2, it talks about on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came, descended, okay, upon the disciples there in Jerusalem, and they were filled with that Spirit. Correct? And then the people jeered. That means the people were ridiculing them. The, the, the people in the city and says this bunch of people they are now what? Huh? They are full of what? New wine. Now it's important why they say new wine. That means these people are not full of old wine because if you're full of old wine you don't look like that. When you're filled with new wine because new wine is potent. New wine is intoxicating. Am I right? New wine gets you drunk, basically. <laughs> you know, the word there in Acts actually is not just new wine. It's sweet wine. Sweet, sweet wine. That means the wine that has retained its flavor. The wine that is new, basically. New wine. These people are full of this new wine. That means they are filled in the spirit. And they look like those who are full of the divine and resurrection life. These two things 
the spirit and the life. The divine spirit and the divine life filling us. Filling us. Oh, brothers and sisters, especially the fresh oil and the new wine filling us makes us what? Makes us fresh. Kansas City, what will make you fresh? More oil and more wine. You need more oil and more wine. Oh, Lord Jesus, I feel we don't have enough oil and we don't have enough wine. Uh, Then we become old. We become aged. Uh, They say... uh, Wine gets better when it gets older, but not scripturally. You, you know what I mean? Uh, okay, saints, I'm just here just to give you some uh, background like this. How, how about this? Amen? Amen? Oh, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. And we need to be filled with the divine life. Amen. Then... Our church life, our church life, honors God and honors man. Our church life cheers God. Our church life cheers man. I gave you the story of this good Samaritan. He saw this man half dead, right? He, He just dressed his wounds and put what on there? On the wound? On the wound? Oil and wine. And took him to the inn. The inn refers to the church. That oil there is the spirit. That wine there is the life. Brothers and sisters, you want to be a good Samaritan? You want to preach the gospel? You want to save some for the Lord? You want to restore and recover some for the church? I tell you, you better have lots of oil and lots of wine. You better be one who is full of the spirit and full of life. I tell you, then we go and what? Heal people with the soothing oil and the cheering wine. That's what people need today. Amen? That's what people need today. The spirit and life. Hallelujah. Okay. Sorry. I actually spoke just the, the background. Just the background. Um, there are a number of other verses. You know, the oil, uh, uh, of course, honors. I mentioned already, honors. Uh, along with that honoring is the commissioning. You know, when the oil comes to you to anoint you king, is not just to honor you, it actually commissions you. Um, it gives you even the authority. It empowers you. The oil empowers you. In Acts 2, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. When the oil came, they were given authority and empowered, not just honored, and they were surely shining. Right? That's right. Um, This is what the oil uh, does. Okay. I better stop here. It's 12 o'clock already. Uh, Amen. That's why we need to call on the Lord. 
We need to, we need to, we need to enjoy this oil. You know, this morning I came to the meeting. Sorry, it doesn't look like you were too much oil. You, you don't look oily to me. And, and, you, and you, certainly you don't look drunk to me. I, 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 we need in Kansas City to become an oily church. A, a, a drunk church. You know what I mean? Full of oil, full of wine. Then I tell you, we can cheer God and we can cheer men. Who, who doesn't like, a, who want to come to a party without wine? That's why I even have the story about the Lord changing water into wine. Amen. Amen. <laughs> drink the Spirit. Amen. 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 And what? And drink this eternal life. Amen. Amen. Okay, I stop here. We'll continue tonight. Amen. Amen. Fill us, Jesus. Fill us, Jesus. Every moment, give us more of Thee. Fill us, Jesus. Amen.